And when you think about a huddle in football or in life, people come from all different walks of life and, and different beliefs. We got to get together. We got to huddle up in the country and, and talk about these issues so we can progress. I've seen a lot of statements like, I've never had to experience this and I know I won't, but, won't, but then he gave a statement, you know, supporting it, supporting his experiences, other experiences of black people that he knows. Like, you don't have to go through it in order to give a, you know, in-depth statement. Like, everybody knows what's going on. I feel so much more encouraged by, you know, the circumstances and the situation we're in when I'm listening to the voices of other people. And it's not just black people anymore who are, you know, calling for change. I felt somewhat of an NBA um, entertainment privilege in that I could basically hide behind um, my finances, my house, this gated community and, and be a bit incubated from the issues that many of my brothers and sisters are dealing with. And fundamentally in my heart, I feel something wrong with that. Hello and welcome everyone. Good afternoon. I'm your host as always, The Pody, and it is Friday, June 5th, 2020. And I want to welcome you here today. We are in the midst of some crazy turmoil in this country right now, some of the worst riots um, that many of us have seen in our lifetimes, okay? And we're just at the brink of collapse in this country, and it's really a shame. This all in the wake of the George Floyd scandal. So I wanted to play you that clip to start off this show. I thought it was appropriate. Those were some prominent um, black athletes and coaches in the sports world, starting off with Herm Edwards, former Jets and Chiefs head coach, former ESPN analyst, now head coach of Arizona State. You have Arike Ogumba, uh, Ogu, uh, excuse me, Arike Ogumbawale. She is a Dallas Wings guard in the WNBA. You had J.B. Bickerstaff, the Cavs head coach, and Monty Williams, the Suns head coach, all giving their input in the wake of the murder of George Floyd by a Minneapolis police officer. Chargers head coach, Coach Anthony Lynn also used his platform to speak out, telling the LA Times, quote, I haven't done anything to make this a better place for my son. I want to do something, but to be honest with you, I don't know what that is. I don't want to be doing this again in 20 years from now, and so I'm looking for ways to sit at the table and have a conversation about this broken system. And I saw a quote from Kyle Shanahan, head coach of the 49ers, a few minutes ago, and he said the fact that there's only four minority or black head coaches in the NFL and only two that are GMs, he's saying is there's no way that's a coincidence. It's absolutely ridiculous. And I do tend to agree. Um, you have predominantly more black football players, so naturally you would just think that they would almost have as many, if not more of them, in head coaching roles and in higher positions of upper management there. I know you have majority of the owners are white, so many seem to think that that plays a role, and I'm not going to disregard that or deny it or, or whatever. But um, yeah, we need to have a different approach to things. You have the Rooney rule in place, but we need to do more because I do truly believe you had Todd Bowles, who was the head coach of the New York Jets, which... Um, he started off all right, but then I just got sick and tired of him. And, and plain and simply, he didn't win, so it's nothing against him. He's a great coordinator, but um, yeah, he had to move on, and now he's a D DC with the Bucks, and will probably go 
win a Super Bowl, so that's just the Jets' luck. You had Herm Edwards, who I mentioned. He was the Jets' head coach as well. Awesome. I love Herm Edwards. I honestly, I really do. There's Tony Dungy, who did speak out about this as well. Um, but to not harp on that too much, I want to um, sort of, uh, sort of, um, basically curtail this into the biggest headline and story in the sports world. And that emerged, I want to say, maybe uh, yesterday or two days ago. And that was Drew Brees' comments that he made when being interviewed over video chat by Yahoo Finance. Here is just a snippet of what Drew Brees said. But basically, he he was talking about Colin Kaepernick when he knelt for the flag in 2016 and how he will never understand or never agree with somebody kneeling. I will never agree with anybody um, disrespecting the flag of the United States of America or our country. And is everything right with our country right now? No, it's not. We still have a long way to go. But I think what you do by standing there and showing respect to the flag with your hand over your heart is it shows unity. It shows that we are all in this together we can all do better, and that we are all part of the solution. Now, I'm a white man, okay? So if you want to say white privilege, whatever, that's fine. I don't believe I have white privilege, but again, I'm a white man living in a white man's world, so who am I to argue that fact, right, or, or that point? So that's fine. I want to be very clear about this. I also took issue with Colin Kaepernick kneeling. I have voiced that very much so in the past. I did not truly believe that Colin Kaepernick was doing it for all of the the reasons that he that he said, you know. Um he he worked with he got the idea through a um, an army vet or some military vet as a peaceful way to sort of protest the uh, police brutality um in this country, right? But the fact of the matter is if if that was a supposed to be for that reason and that reason alone, then why did he blatantly wear a Fidel Castro shirt and wear pig socks to essentially um, make fun of police who, granted, when you're in trouble, no matter what you think of the police, when you are in trouble, who do you call? You dial 911 and you call for help and the police show up. So you have this very... Uh, um, ha- I, again, I want to be very careful with how how I how I state this and how I word this because I don't want this to get misconstrued or anything like that, right? I don't know what it means to be a black man or woman or child in this country. I don't know what that hatred or, or what they deal with um, every single day of their lives, right? So I can't speak on that. Therefore, when they want to go out and protest the 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 murder of George Floyd. That's fine. I personally don't believe that's really going to accomplish much, but people will argue with me, well, the civil rights movement that, you know, that led to protests, but I just don't see what bill or what law you're going to change to to sort of fix what's going on right now. And my my law school friend brought this up. So so if you're not going to take my word for it, take his word for it. I'm um, more of a conservative. He's much more liberal. So at least we can agree on that. I don't know what more they they want to come out of this or what you can possibly do uh, legislatively to, to to fix this. So that's one point. Now what I do take issue with is Malcolm Jenkins who is Drew Brees' teammate in his second stint with the New Orleans Saints. He won a Super Bowl in his second year in 2010 with the Saints. 
he went on social media and absolutely blasted Drew Brees, who was supposedly his friend. That he That's what he said. Now, if that's your friend, why would you go on social media and publicly blast him? And let's first take a listen to this clip, and then I'll dissect it a bit more. It's unfortunate because I considered you a friend. I looked up to you. You're somebody who I had a great deal of respect for. But sometimes you should shut the up. Because while the world tells you that you're not worthy, that your life doesn't matter, the last place you want to hear from are the guys that you that you go to war with and that you consider to be allies and to be your friends. So, yeah, uh, I just want to start off by saying that it's shameful of Malcolm Jenkins to have said that and, and to have cursed in front of what sounded like his child in the background there. So so that's really uh, leading by example, number one, Malcolm Jenkins. And number two, to say, who has told you that your life doesn't matter? Okay, um, I'm sure he's not speaking of himself per se, but I, I'm truly, I truly want to know what it's like to, to walk in your shoes every day. I would trade my life for yours in a heartbeat. You know why? Because you grew up in Piscataway, New Jersey, where I went to college. Okay. I went to college at Rutgers. That is in Piscataway, New Jersey. It's about 15 minutes away from, from where I live. Okay. Now, I also work with a man who grew up and went to high school in Piscataway back in the 70s. Back then, it was more segregated from what he has told me, okay? But now, it is a, it's more of a diverse community. When Malcolm Jenkins grew up, it, it's not a bad town. My friend's father, my one of my closest friends who's actually been a guest on this show, his father was a police officer in Piscataway. It's not a Newark. It's not a Camden. It's not one of these violent inner cities where you grow up and there is hatred from the cops to the to the black people. It's nothing like that. So I, I'm curious to, 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 under, to try to understand where he's coming from, because like I said, I would without a doubt trade my life for Malcolm Jenkins 100%. The man, the man, uh, what, so he's from Piscataway. Okay. Number one, he then goes to Ohio State Okay, one of the best football programs in America. And then he goes to the New Orleans Saints, where he wins a Super Bowl in his second year. He then goes to the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, gets two, uh, stays there for two, for, for, for a while, wins a Super Bowl in what, 2016? I mean, the list goes on and on. And, and so for Malcolm Jenkins to say that he's part of this collective that, that has been, you know, brutalized and, and looked down upon f f from police and this and that and from the white man, that's a joke. He has no problem lining his pockets via the white man, a.k.a. the owner of the New Orleans Saints. And, and I did my research here, ladies and gentlemen, just because I don't want this to look like an unfounded attack on Malcolm Jenkins. I've always had issue with him, and it could be, yes, the fact that he snubbed Rutgers and decided to go to Ohio State, but I really don't think that that plays a factor because I don't think about that too much. That's just one of those extra extra things that that uh, that adds fuel to the fire. So his first contract, his rookie deal was five years, nineteen million dollars. Okay, boom, immediately twenty two year old kid millionaire. Then he goes to the Eagles. After that, he has two separate contracts with the Eagles. The first three years. 
$15.5 million. And the second one was a four-year $35 million contract, okay? He recently just signed back with the Saints on a four-year $32 million deal. His current contract netted him $16.25 million in guaranteed money. And guess what his base salary is for this year? over $1 million, exactly $1.05 million. And every year throughout the contract, it gets higher and higher and higher. So his salary in 2021 jumps all the way up to $6.2 million. Then in 2022, it goes up to $7.75 million. And in 2023, a staggering $8 million. So who is Malcolm Jenkins to speak on the struggle that he's grown up with and struggled his whole life? He's a black man, sure, but he doesn't struggle. He's a millionaire, and like I said, he gets his salary from the white man. So um, I'm not just going to sit here and bash Malcolm Jenkins because, like I said, I've done my research, and I know what he has done for the black community. He has his own nonprofit, the Malcolm Jenkins Foundation, which is a public charity that helps to enhance the lives of young kids in un in underserved communities. So yes, he does a lot for the community, but he really doesn't truly know the struggle. And to f- the fact that I'm just disappointed and-, and mad at the fact that he would call Drew Brees out and these other athletes, uh, Ed Reed, I'll get to him in a second, are going to call out these ath- uh, you know, your teammate who you consider your friend and your brother. If you have an issue with what he said, and this is part of the problem in America, is that when you have an issue with someone, instead of talking it out or working it out, you need to go to social media and you need to put it out there for your millions of followers. So I feel that it's fake a little bit, and I feel that it's cowardly, the fact that you couldn't pick up the phone and immediately talk to him. You have to sort of embarrass him through your social media platform. So it's totally unfounded. And I don't think that you're able to fix that relationship despite what has taken place in, in the coming days. Now back to, uh, let's get to Ed Reed, who also opened his mouth and had some words for Drew Brees, who I'm disappointed with too, because one of the best, if not greatest safeties of all time, played for the New York Jets at the tail end of his career. Here's what he had to say. This shocked me. I see Drew Brees trying to do his part in keeping black folk down. You're a straight sucker for that, Drew Brees. Drew Brees, you're a sucker. You're going to be a sucker. You understand? Punk, man. Uh, The only punk here is you and Malcolm Jenkins because you guys play in the NFL. Ed Reed retired. You have a platform. You know Drew Brees. You can get on the phone. You can call Drew Brees up and you can work this out and talk to him and explain to him where you're coming from. He can explain where he's coming from. And to give a different perspective that's not just mine, I'm so glad that there were a few black celebrity uh, sports celebrities and athletes out there that did sort of come to Drew Brees' defense because I'm sorry, what he said, I even had friends that, again, don't believe in the same views as me that even said that they don't see anything wrong with what Drew Brees said per se, but maybe the timing of it or whatever what was bad, but the the vitriol and the hate that he was getting was so devastating that I'm sure he's going to get death threats, his family's going to get death threats, and it's just totally unfounded because Drew Brees has done so much for the city of New Orleans. Look at Hurricane Katrina and all of these the, the, the charitable work he has done. He's by no means a racist or this or that, and I think we need to, as a nation, we need to obviously stop these riots because it's disgusting what I'm seeing, people trying to drive their car 
cars down the road. People are throwing stuff at them. People are taking skateboards and bricks and throwing them through places of business, breaking into Apple stores and stealing iPhones and all sorts of other stuff. It's just terrible. If you are upset and angry over the killing of George Floyd, then protest, even though I don't feel that that's going to do too much, but there's no need to run around and break stuff and light fires and destroy police cars and all that other stuff that we're seeing in the news, okay? And to one other point I want to mention, I have used the words all lives matter, and I was told that I can't use that word. That dubs me a, a racist, apparently. And um, I had arguments with my friends because I, I don't understand what I'm supposed to say at this point. So for the time being, thankfully, I'm not a huge celebrity with a huge following. But I would, if I was, I would have said nothing and call me complicit in, in whatever and tell me that I'm cowardly. That's fine. But I'd rather say nothing than say the wrong thing and be hated even more, such as what Drew Brees did even though I did not disagree with it, and that's fine. And here's my perspective, right? If you want to kneel in the upcoming season now that this has happened, I'm sure more players are going to be likely to kneel, right? That's fine. That is their right. In this country, you have a lot of freedoms, and that is one of them. I don't have to agree with it, but guess what? At the end of the day, that's totally fine, and we could still be friends. Me and my me and my friends, per se, we argue politics all the time, and we say some sort of hurtful and demeaning things to each other. But at the end of the day, it's not going to, uh, you know, it's not going to get in the way or come in the way of our friendship, and that's the most important thing. So for Malcolm Jenkins to put his friendship and his brotherhood ahead. Uh, I mean, behind, you know, to put his beliefs ahead of that brotherhood and that friendship with Drew Brees, it's kind of sad and disappointing. And I think that's what a lot of people are doing. So for her right now, I'm just going to play a couple clips, one from Charles Barkley sort of siding with Drew Brees, not siding with him, but but basically, um, on you know, talking about how he sort of uh, understands where Drew Brees is coming from and he believes that the hatred towards him was just totally unfair and unjust. So here is that. Uh, uh, actually, yeah, I'll play that clip first. True Priest was wrong in his initial statement, but the level of vitriol, anger, and things like that, I thought was overkill. Drew Brees, uh, Drew Brees, whatever he said, he I thought he talked about. Hey, the flag means different things to different people, but I thought the way he was portrayed on television and radio today was not fair at all. Drew Brees has done some amazing things uh, in New Orleans and his life. I'm not even talking about football. He made a mistake in a statement. But this level of we've got to kill everybody who says something we don't agree with, I'm never going to go with the mob. I want to make it clear. I did not like what he said right away. But the vitriol and animosity and hatred he just got for the last 24 hours, I thought it was overkill. That's just my personal opinion. The key there that Charles Barkley mentions is to not go with the mob. Don't go with the flow. The flow, the easy thing to do in this country right now is oh, to hate the police and to hate the president and to call them a bunch of racist, white, privileged uh, individuals, and et cetera, et cetera. The, 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 the easy thing to do is to go out and riot and to join the numbers and to, to light fires and because you know it's gonna, it's, you're not going to get caught and you got this pent-up anger. And I'm seeing not just black people, 
people. I'm seeing a lot, a lot of white people, you know, causing mayhem and destruction in, in these cities. And what good is that going to cause? You're only destroying your own backyard, which is foolish and stupid. Okay, so be the person that's going to make the change. Go out there. If you see somebody doing something they should not be doing, stop them. Tell them, think about what you're doing. You're only destroying your, your you know, your own neighborhood here. You're not you're not going to elicit any change. So be be the person that's going, you know, wake up one day or tomorrow or today or and just think about that. May, try to be a little bit better each and every day because that's what we need. We don't need hatred. We don't need uh, violence, that's for sure, because you can't fight violence with violence. There was an individual by the name of George Floyd who was murdered by a police officer for over eight and a half minutes. Don't then go out and cause violence and chaos and destruction. There was a 77-year-old retired police captain, uh, an African-American man, a black man, who was helping his friend, okay, who owns a pawn shop. He went there to safeguard the place, and somebody live-streamed his murder on the internet. It is things like this that you won't necessarily see in the news. The murder, while these riots are going on, you had one man that was murdered by a Minneapolis police officer. But then, because of all these riots, you have others dying, being shot with rubber bullets. Just, it's not helping. And I don't want to, um, I don't want to digress or really you know, banter on too much about this because it's really starting to uh, not be about sports anymore. But seriously, uh, that the hatred and condemn, uh, you know, uh, of Drew Brees, like it, it's it's it, it's sad and, and it's. Uh, I personally, um, I was not brought up that way, and if I have an issue with what somebody says, then I was taught to work it out. So if, you know, one of my friends says something that I don't agree with, I'll tell him, hey man, listen, like, I think that was wrong. You shouldn't have said that. And we could hash things out and we could come to an understanding. And maybe I see something from his side or I see some, he sees something from my side. And like Charles said, the flag means different things to different people. So if people want to kneel for the flag, I don't have to agree with it just like they don't have to agree with what Drew Brees said. Now, here's what uh, Shaquille O'Neal had to say. I know Drew Brees. He's not a racist. You know, he said what he said. The timing was terrible. He made a mistake. But I was on the call today when he apologized to his friends. And my, my good friend, I was from my hometown, Newark, New Jersey, Malcolm Jenkins, was the first one that said, brother, I accept your apology. So, you know, Drew, character, Drew Brees does a lot in the city of New Orleans. Look, he made a mistake. The timing was bad. And, again, uh, a lot of time when, you know, we, we make our points, we need to focus on making our points to where it cannot be interrupted. See, if you allow other people to to, to throw interruptions in your point, then then you know they could you know cause drama in the point that you're trying to make. Now, to his point on this uh, apology that Drew Brees issued, he did. Uh, there was a conference call. I don't have that audio. It was with his teammates and such. Um, I'm glad to hear that Malcolm Jenkins accepted the apology. I do want to play one that uh, Drew Brees put on his Instagram, though. It was about 50 seconds of him speaking on, you know, uh, and issuing an apology, which personally, I really don't think he needed to issue an apology. That was his belief. I don't think he said anything wrong. Malcolm Jenkins, a 
initially, I think, in his statement, or somebody said it, that um, he's talking about him, and it's not about Drew Brees. It's not about you. It's not about your grandfathers, because he talked about when he thinks of the flag, he thinks of his grandfather's fighting for in World War II. But he also mentioned the civil rights movement, and nobody wants to talk about that. So anyway, here was Drew Brees' apology. I know there's not much that I can say that would make things any better right now, but I just want you to see in my eyes how sorry I am for the comments that I made yesterday. I know that it hurt many people, especially friends, teammates, former teammates, loved ones, people that I care and, and respect deeply. That was never my intention. I wish I would have laid out what was on my heart in regards to the George Floyd murder, Ahmaud Arbery, the years and years of social injustice, police brutality, and the need for so much reform and change in regards to legislation and so many other things to bring equality to our black communities. I am sorry, and I will do better, and I will be part of the solution, and I am your ally. Okay, so there there you have that. Now, th- um, initially, Michael Thomas, his teammate, wide receiver for the Saints, uh, didn't really appreciate his comments, but he has since come forth, and I thought he issued a really genuine um, statement on Twitter, and I really liked what he had to say, so I'm going to share that. He said, and I quote, One of my brothers made a public statement yesterday that I disagreed with. He apologized, and I accept it because that's what we are taught to do as Christians. Now back to the movement. And that is so well said by Michael Thomas because that is what we have to realize and what we have to get back to in this in this world that we live in today. If somebody does something that is wrong or, or that you don't agree with, you can't condemn them. You can't throw them under the bus and, and just throw them aside and never speak to them again. No. You have to talk to them. You have to work things out. You have to accept their apologies when, when given, and you have to be able to to work together. These two are not going anywhere. They're teammates. They're going to go to war with each other, you know, when the season starts back up again. And, and so they have to be, you know, it's a brotherhood. And so if you can't forgive and forget, then you really can't move past this. So I, I'm 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 thankful and glad that they're able to uh, hopefully move past this a little bit. And I just I'm glad that as well that Charles and Shaq made those statements that they did. Um, and I'm also very um, happy to hear Malcolm Jenkins accepted an apology. Although um, I still am not a fan of his, and I don't think I ever will be. But that's great and all that's well. He doesn't care who he doesn't know who I am, so he's never going to hear this, and that's fine. Um, but again, what happened with Drew Brees, the hate that he got, and the people calling him out and calling him a racist, it's very important to know Shaquille O'Neal said he is not a racist. So if Shaq says it, then there you have it. And, and the charitable work he's done in the New Orleans era, enough said, people. Let's just move on. So nobody. I've seen celebrities mention things left and right over this George Floyd stuff, and I've seen different sides of this all being condemned and all being um, thrown shade on the internet. Number one, Ellen DeGeneres. She posted and used the words people of color and got absolutely lambasted on the internet, which I was shocked because my friends have been using that word. And I'm like, well, what? why can't she use those words, people of color? Then I saw when 
when people were using All Lives Matter, um, namely the 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 announcer for the for the uh, Sacramento Kings who got fired basically over uh, a response to Demarcus Cousins saying All Lives Matter. I was totally uh, flabbergasted because I had used those words and I. I, I later realized apparently I'm not allowed to say that. Then you have uh, Hugh Jackman, Wolverine. He posted a picture of, I guess, a white cop and a protester hugging, and then he got hatred for that. So what it all comes down to at the end of the day, this Black Lives Matter movement, I don't want to tick anybody off here, but they will not be satisfied unless you put the words Black Lives Matter into a sentence. So if you, God forbid, you say all lives matter, which truthfully, that is my belief, unless you are a convicted rapist or, or murderer or, or a, a felon of, of some sort, then your life really doesn't matter at that point if you're on like death row or something, right? Um, you're a serial killer. But I truly believe that each and every life is valued and does matter. I grew up in one of the most diverse high schools and towns probably in America. Okay. I had, I went to high school and went to middle school with, with people of all different creeds, races, ethnicities, backgrounds, colors, anything, you name it, uh, black, Hispanic, Indian, Asian, um, you know, every, everybody I've went to school with them all. Okay. So therefore, um, I guess maybe I'm more exposed to the diversity in this country than some maybe in the deep south, okay? So it might be a little bit different, but we, we all just need to take a step back. I know we're angry over the events that have unfolded in this country, but we can't fight violence with violence, all right? So hopefully we can move past this eventually and we can get back to civilized America because this is, after all, the greatest country of all. So just remember that. Okay, now let's move this thing along. We got to talk some baseball, all right? And it's not looking pretty. Um, each day that goes by, I'm starting to wonder if we're even going to have a season at this point. Okay, the players countered the league with a 114-game schedule, which would have end, which would end the season on October 31st. Okay. They would uh, have deferred salaries in the event of a canceled postseason. There was the option for players to opt out of the season due to coronavirus concerns, but um, that doesn't look like it's going to happen. There's a number of owners right now who really don't want to play baseball in 2020. And if those owners look at this proposal coming back from the MLBPA and say, this is so radical, this is so off, we cannot possibly go forward and suddenly start getting other owners who may have been more in the middle on their side. That is when things turn really catastrophic for the prospect of a 2020 season. The MLB then came back and started considering this last ditch effort, discussing a plan that would include a 50 game season beginning in July where members of the uh, Players Association will earn their full prorated salaries. Then I heard yesterday there's a new uh, report that it might be a 48-game schedule. So what's this all about? When MLB is pushing like that and your only option seemingly against this is litigation, do the players then want to have put themselves in the position where they're the ones 
who are making this into a legal issue and fighting back and causing the season not to be had. As one owner said earlier today, we're gonna have baseball this year. That confidence, if it's coming from owners, is a good sign for the 2020 baseball season. So 50 games to me feels like we would be cheated out of a baseball season because if you look, if you think about it, what would a 50 game season look like? Well, the reigning, the reigning uh, World Series champs, don't ask them because after 50 games last season, they were nine games back of first place in the NL East okay, and had the fourth worst record in Major League Baseball. They, of course, went on to finish the final 112 games with a 74-38 and 38 record, which was tied for the best in baseball. So, um, yeah, it, it's we're at the point now where this is crunch time. Uh, the NBA has started to announce a comeback date. The NHL playoffs are going to start soon. MLS is going to start back up. And you have MLB and the players, and they can't come to terms on anything. So, yeah, it, it's rough, and it doesn't look good. The MLB rejected the 114-game schedule with no additional salary cuts. They told the union they don't plan on making a counterproposal. The players' union made it clear they are not taking a pay cut and resoundingly rejected the league's plan to restart the season. The league was... The league, excuse me, drastically, like I said, they want this 50 or 48 game uh, reduced schedule in order for owners to be able to pay players on a per game basis. The NBA now has a return to play plan and baseball's entire advantage in this whole thing, which was coming back before any other sport could, has been completely frittered away. That is Major League Baseball completely ceding its territory to a sport that believes so much in its product and so little in Major League Baseball's that it is considering moving its season entirely to go over what baseball had with those summer months. It's shocking, and uh, he's right. Baseball had a grand opportunity as the national pastime in America. We all know that the viewership and the numbers are dipping and waning, and it's more of a you know a uh, older person's type sport. Nobody wants to sit there or go to a game and sit for four hours and watch baseball. They think it's boring, right? But they had a primo opportunity to restart the season before any of the major sports and get that viewership and get those numbers back up and get people to to buy back into the great sport of baseball. Okay, now earlier this week was the 10-year anniversary of one of, if not for situations, uh, the situation that they were in. This could be the worst call by an umpire in Major League Baseball history. We take you back 10 years ago. Armando Galarraga is one out away from perfection. 17,000 to its feet. The guy we've been waiting for all night. Ground ball, right side. Cabrera will cut it off. Galarraga covers. He's out. No, he's safe. He is safe. Why is he safe? Oh, my goodness, Jim Joyce. No. What a travesty. What an absolute travesty. I missed it. This is a history call, and I kicked shit out of it. And there's nobody that feels worse than I do. All eyes were on Jim Joyce the next day when the teams took the field. Joyce walked out in tears. And despite how bad the call was and what it meant to his career, it was Galarraga that came out to greet Joyce that day for the lineup cards. 
a truly beautiful sports moment. Yeah, if that was me, I'm never speaking to Jim Joyce again. That is a career-making call. That destroy. I mean, imagine having a perfect game and you clearly have the out at first by over more than a step and he blows the call. I mean, even if he wasn't paying attention and the guy was safe and it was a bang-bang call, this, of course, before instant replay, you call the guy out. It's a routine ground ball to, to, to what, first base or wherever it was and Galarraga covering. You make the out call. Nobody's going to argue it. But the fact that he had such a, a, a brain fart and he calls him safe, just one of those things that you'll never forget. And and, ba- and for the most part, um, most most of us, you know, get, believe that Galarraga, you know, he had a perfect game. It's, you know, it's obvious. It's not going to be in the, in the record books, but, but it unofficially is there because he pitched one hell of a game and he deserved that. So just a terribly tragic moment in, in uh, you know, and it's something that it's going to define Jim Joyce's career as an umpire. And that's just that. All right, so moving on, let's talk NASCAR. They continue to pump out all these races. You have the Supermarket Heroes 500 from Bristol Motor Speedway. Let's take it up. Uh, let's let's start off at the uh, with 12 laps to go. Denny Hamlin gets bumped by Joey Logano, and he would spin out, ending his day. With three laps to go, Chase Elliott, who had one hell of a week last week, he gets a little too close to the corner, and he wrecks into Logano. Okay, so Logano causing a couple of, uh, you know, uh, people to crash here. And then it would, in the end, Brad Keselowski takes the lead and he would win his second of the season. I'm watching Chase and Joe. I'm like, oh, this is not going to be good. It was just such a turn of uh, events. Uh, it, it felt like I was sitting in Vegas and playing poker and I got all the turns, you know, the, what do they call it? The river and all that, the, all the turns went my way and went from having a bad hand to having a, a full house real quick. Yeah. Uh, that is, if that's not the truth, man, uh, you're losing a couple guys wreck and you just soar right into first place and get the win. So a special moment there for him. All right, the UFC is set to restart. Uh, you know, we're supposed to have UFC 250 tomorrow night. Should be important. But uh, this is marred by a back and forth between Dana White and John Bones Jones, um, and it's ugly. So John Jones tweeted on Sunday he is relinquishing his light heavyweight belt, and he's going to take some time away from the sport. This comes after a heated week of negotiations between him and Dana White. Being the greatest of all time doesn't mean you get $30 million. Being able to sell. John Jones has done a lot of things to himself. He's saying, in one of his tweets, he was saying that I tarnished his, I tarnished you? You've done a very good job of tarnishing you. I'm always looking at what, what John Jones could have been. Could have been, he could have been the LeBron of the sport. He could have been literally that big. The stuff that he's been through to show up and basically demand $15 million or $20 million or $30 million it's crazy. Jones did respond to that, saying, uh, telling Dana White to release him from his contract. Now, speaking to what Dana White was saying about, you know, I did this to you. No, you did this to yourself. That would be the legal troubles that John Jones has been in, the cocaine abuse, the um, 
just all the different uh, legal issues that he's had. And I don't want to spe- speak too ill of him because he is boys with Robert Frank 615. They have hung out in person. So, uh, and, and hey, he's a cool dude. But uh, yeah, he has been in some legal troubles. So that's what Dana White is talking about. So he is a little flabbergasted that he is demanding all this money uh, for his next fight. So yeah, not looking good. Hopefully they could come to terms because John Jones still is probably the best ever to do it. Um, his brother's play in the NFL is just a athletic beast of a family. Okay, let's talk about the NBA because a lot has happened in this past week. All right, let's start off with the 22-team uh, tournament-style season. It is now going to happen officially. The owners were pushing for all 30 teams. I'm sure a bunch of teams at the bottom wanted that to make that happen, but it wasn't realistic because of the small uh, capacity, the bubble or so, that they're going to be playing in. Um, in Orlando, the centralized area, it's not safe enough to have that many people. Either way, the owners were on board with whatever the league deemed fit or wanted to do. A final decision was made yesterday by Adam Silver and the Board of Governors. So here is Brian Windhorst with more. Adam Silver has made it a top priority. Number His number one priority is making his owners happy, which in large part means making money. His number two priority is to make the players feel like they have an ownership as much as they can. And I don't think we should take for granted that there's going to be a labor piece in the NBA as we get through this. But the fact that they are going to move forward this week and potentially announce this is an indication all of Adam Silver's hard work is going to lead to something meaningful here. Okay, the Board of Governors voted yesterday. 29 to 1 in favor of the 22 team format. The uh the Blazers were the only team that voted against this. Now there were some other teams that were leaning that way as well, but ultimately it was just the Blazers that voted against it just because of the certain format that they that they didn't like or the fact that no matter what happens in these final 8 games, they uh their draft uh spot or lottery pick doesn't change due to that. Okay, NBA draft and free agency will occur in October. I'll get to more on that later. Financially and competitively, you know, allowing other teams in, and how far do you go? 20, 22. Now you've got regular season games. You've got play-in games. And, and the revenue, I'm told, from having just the 16 and going to the playoffs versus 22 and having the play-in regular season games, several hundred million dollars more to teams, and that is absolutely a factor in this. So they keep saying 22 teams. So how will this look? There will be 13 teams from the Western Conference, nine Eastern Conference teams. We will see eight regular season games. The top 16 teams in both conferences will be joined by clubs currently within a six, uh, within six games of eighth place. So those teams are the Pelicans. Okay, the Trailblazers, the Spurs, the Kings, the Suns, and the Wizards. There is a potential play-in tournament if the ninth seed is within four games of the eighth seed at the end of the regular season. Now, many believe that the NBA dropped the ball. We could have had a much cleaner, a much cooler play-in style, you know, type tournament uh, style uh, of play here, but this is what they've decided to go with. It's not too sexy, but... Hey, at least we get to see some teams given an opportunity to make the so-called playoffs. And what happens to those teams that are now left out? You know, they're already pushing the NBA for, you know, summer leagues and off-season training. And they've got to work that out with the Players Association. There were teams who wanted to return. 
there were a significant amount of, end, of regular season games left, and they turned those teams back. So we're talking teams like the Atlanta Hawks, the Chicago Bulls, the Charlotte Hornets, the New York Knicks, teams like that that will be sitting at home now and are wondering, you know, when can they get to back to basketball or back to work, okay, because they are left out. So here are some of the key dates in restarting the, the season. July 9th through the 11th will be training camp. From July 31st to October 12th, the season will take place. October 12th is the is if it were to go to a Game 7 of the NBA Finals. August 25th, you have the draft lottery. October 15th will be the NBA draft, so possibly just three days after uh, the season is over. November 10th, you then have training camp starting for the 2020-2021 season beginning. And uh, let's talk testing real quick, which should be interesting, right? You want to know about how they're going to keep those safeguards in place and the health and safety of uh, players and coaches and staff. The NBA is planning to have daily testing in Orlando. If a player tests positive for the virus, they will be removed from the team to quarantine and be treated individually. Same goes for team employees. Now, I think I saw somewhere that they're possibly considering if you have an older uh, staff member, a coach, they might not be permitted on the sidelines with the team. So that's something to, uh, that we'll have to just wait and see how that's going to be. And I, speaking of daily testing, the uh, Alabama Crimson Tide football team was allowed to come back to campus uh, this past week and five players returned, were tested for coronavirus, and unfortunately tested positive for the virus. So they brought it onto the campus with them. Hopefully they've now been isolated, quarantined, and it hasn't really spread. But, you know, these are the dangers with returning to sports and bringing players from all different areas of the country back into one place. You don't know what they're going to get or what they're carrying with them because a lot of these players are asymptomatic. So there's that. Okay, now let's talk about the MLS because I did bring that up before. The league and the players union uh, near a C CBA deal to avoid a lockout. A formal deal uh, was expected to be ratified sometime on Wednesday. Teams are scheduled to head to Central Florida on or around June 24th and be the first league to return to action. So this is a great opportunity for the MLS who really of any major sport is as low on the totem pole as it gets. If your plan is to do a tournament to kick off the attention and to bring attention where you're going to be the only league in the United States that is currently playing with the NHL, NBA, and Major League Baseball looking to follow you, there is an opportunity for the sport in the league to really get some eyeballs that would have never had those eyeballs on them. So there you have that. Um, and it's very smart because, and I guess it's working because Kevin Durant, who it is still up in the air as to whether or not he is going to return um, to the NBA this season and play for the for his new team, the Brooklyn Nets. But he did actually, uh, you know, spark news headlines today when it was, or yesterday, when it was leaked that Kevin Durant has bought in to a minority, 5% minority stake in the MLS's Philadelphia Union, a 5% stake worth approximately $240 million. So very interesting and intriguing there. So hey, um, I'm actually just looking forward to sports in general. I don't really watch the MLS, but if it's sports and it's on television, I'll turn it on and I'll watch. So this is a great example. MLS could do what the MLB should have been able to do. So yeah. 
And then last but not least, guys, uh, real quick, the NHL playoffs, they should be getting underway next month. The league and the Players Association reached an agreement finally on a playoff format. They will have a play-in round, which will be a best of five. Then the four playoff rounds after that will be best of seven series, and teams would be reseeded after each round. So that's interesting enough, and, and can't wait for that. Okay, we're at the end of the show. We always finish off on On This Date in Sports. We'll take it all the way back to June 5th, 2001, when Barry Bonds homered for the 30th time in the team's 57th game of the season, becoming the fastest player in Major League history to reach 30 home runs in a season. Obviously, it was steroid-induced a little bit, um, so there's that. But yeah, wow, seems like a really long time ago. Okay, uh, speaking of steroids and performance-enhancing drugs, today I just finally finished part two of the Lance Armstrong documentary. If you have not seen it, please, I highly encourage it. It was a great, great watch and very interesting to learn all this fascinating stuff about, about Lance Armstrong and his life and all that good stuff and just amazing. Okay, a little bit of what's on TV this weekend and, and moving forward. You have UFC 250. You have, uh, I mentioned that earlier, this is the big one. The main event is the women's featherweight title. Okay, this will take place tomorrow night. You have Amanda Nunez from Brazil facing off against Canadian Felicia Spencer. Then on Sunday, ESPN is airing another new 30 for 30, this one called Be Water. It is going to focus on the life of Bruce Lee, which I am really intrigued by. And then Wednesday is my dad's birthday, so I will give him a happy birthday shout-out. Happy birthday, Dad. I'm not going to embarrass you or anything like that by revealing your age, so you are welcome. Consider that an early birthday present. Okay, um, last but not least, there's been a lot going on in the world, and I just want to say I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope it takes you away from all the hate and negativity for just a few minutes or just about an hour. Feel free to subscribe to the show. It is also now available on YouTube if you would like to head there and listen to the show on YouTube. You could subscribe there as well. Okay, and to steal, I just want to end this by saying this. I want to, I'm going to steal a quote from Ellen DeGeneres. Let's all just be a little kinder to each other, please. We could surely use the kindness in this world right now. So please, try to be a little nicer to your, you know, to, to, to if you go to the store to pick up groceries, be a little bit nicer to the cashier. Be a little bit nicer. If somebody can't reach something at the top of the shelf, offer to help them. Offer to help somebody to bring their groceries to the car. You name it. Just be a little kinder to each other. And finally, hang in there a little longer because the NBA is headed to the most magical place on earth. Take care, everybody. Thank you.